Welcome to Uppity Women. This week's guest is Zara Abbasi, also known as Zara Wilkerson. I guess I've known Zara for years now. Uh, we met through a mutual friend, and I went to law school with her husband. And uh, as is typical, I think, with people on social media, I feel like I know her because I see her all the time, and I see her kids and what they do, and I know about her cooking and her baking. But the truth is, I didn't really know her that well. And my takeaway from this conversation is that my perception of Zara is so different from who she is and what her life has been. And when I've seen her in person, she's so kind and lovely. I see this outgoing, beautiful, confident person, and there's so much more going on there. Not that she is not all those things. I mean, she is all those things, but I would have never guessed that she was someone who is more introverted or slow to trust people and had 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 a life that was not maybe so easy for her as a kid. So I think this talk is just another reminder that there is so much more to a book inside its cover. And Zara has inspired me to look more deeply into my friendships and people I know because, you know, we don't always show who we really are. And sometimes we may not want to see who we really are or tell people who, who we really are, but... Um, I guess my point is that sometimes relationships can become richer by listening a little more deeply and trying to get to know people and accept them for who they are. So anyway, loved this conversation. It went on quite a bit longer than I had anticipated and the way I I try to keep it within about an hour, um, but we talked for almost two. We start by talking about her background and then how she got into baking and cooking and sort of her professional resume. And then we end, which I did not think it would take so long, um, but we end with a conversation about a group that Zara started for friends uh, or for people who want to be friends. So she calls it kind of a tender for friendship. And I'm a part of this Facebook group, but I don't think I fully understood what the group was for until I had this talk with her. And her idea of posting friend resumes and getting to know each other or interacting without judging each other, no politics or work are allowed. As she describes it, which I really like, it's just a place where we can emotionally put on our sweatpants, give each other the benefit of the doubt, and know that we're often emotionally drained and we just need people to support us and not judge us and give each other the benefit of the doubt. It's principles and ideas that I wish we would apply in our whole lives, not just a a group on Facebook. Um, I think we could stand to shut up every now and then and just listen to the other person and see the humanity in the other person and try to treat each other better as human beings. I always say we are all in this together. So I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did and enjoy. So if you will introduce yourself and kind of tell me who you are and where you're from. I'm Zara Abbasi, and I'm in Little Rock, but I was born in New York and raised in New York and in Boston. And um, I don't really know who I am. (laughs) I think I'm just a combination of a whole bunch of things, but I think most people know me best for being a pastry chef here in Little Rock. Let me just say, I went to law school with your husband, John, and I don't know him well because he was so quiet 
but super nice and just a real pleasant person, yes. right? And so yes. um, all my all my feelings about him are just that he's such a nice guy. Don't change that for me. If he's, I, I don't think I could. Okay, good. <laughs> um, I believe that, that he's a good person. So, he is a good person. Yeah. So we met through our mutual friend, Jill Barham, yes. and she and I were in the same law school class. Were you, what year did you graduate? Um, I graduated in, let's see, 2012. Yeah. Okay, so significantly later. Yes, much later, because John went to law school first, and then after he was done is when I went in. Okay. How did you and John meet? Oh, wow. Um, This goes back almost 20 years. We met 20 years ago. Um, We officially met while we worked at Ruby Tuesday together. He was in Arkansas, in Arkansas, mm-hmm. the Park Plaza Mall, um, the very kitsch location. Um, but we actually had a UCA class together because I was going to UCA and we had international relations together and he was a poli sci major and so was I, but we never spoke in class. It's only when we were working together, I was like, Hey, I think I know you. I think you're in my class. And he's like, yeah, I know your name. And I was like, oh, okay. So he knew me a little bit better than I knew him, but I knew his, his face. Okay. So yeah. so you grew up in New York. What part of New York? Um, in Flushing, Queens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I lived in Jamaica. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, in Queens is where I was born. And then my dad worked there for a little bit before we moved to Boston. And then lived there. And actually... I say Boston because nobody knows the outskirts, the little communities, but I was raised in Lowell, Mm -hmm. Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. and that was a pretty nostalgic time for me to the point where my brothers and I still talk about certain things that we did there. Yeah. How old were you when you moved here? 13, and I moved to Paragold, Arkansas, of all places. Wow. Yeah. Wow. What a difference. Um, Yeah. So that's why I believe childhood depression exists, because I went through it. I was very very depressed when we moved away from all of our friends and then moved into the middle of nowhere. Um, as you know, I mean, Paragold's grown quite a bit, but back in, what was it, 97? When we moved, um, no, not 97, 93, sorry, 97, we moved to Little Rock. Um, so in 93, there was hardly anything there. Um, and there was nothing to do, no friends, you know, and the worst thing was there was no MTV because mm-hmm. it was like outlawed or something. It wasn't allowed. Uh, yeah, only VH1 and uh, CMT. Okay. And we grew up watching MTV. And so I was like, <sighs> well, it's, it's also, uh, well, Boston's a very Catholic town, but this is the Bible Belt. Yes. And there is a weird difference. Very um, weird difference. Yeah. And I, I can't really wrap my brain around it. But what is your family background? Where are your parents from? Um, my parents are from Pakistan. Okay. Yeah. So did you, did you, were there any issues of, um, like racism or anything like that? So that was not a problem. Uh, no, not at all. Because where I lived, I didn't even know what racism meant. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I'm telling you with my rose colored glasses on, um, I went to school with almost every ethnicity you can imagine. I mean, from Laotian to Cambodian, I could tell the difference. And we were supposed to know the difference between a Haitian and a Dominican. I mean, there was everybody you could imagine going to school with. And I loved that because I, when people say I didn't see color and people automatically assume it's that you chose not to see something, that wasn't true for me. It was just, it was so much color everywhere that you saw no difference Mm. between the two. And so with me, I didn't really feel left out or not a part of something. I mean, there were Indian kids, there weren't that many Pakistani kids, you know, I was Pakistani, but 
we all knew what it felt like to be immigrant kids or uh, to Wait, be... You're talking about in the Northeast. Yeah. I'm talking about Paragold. Oh, uh, oh Paragold. Yeah. I get that. No, way different story. Okay. That's what I mean. Way... Okay. Yeah. Sorry. I So that's the foundation of my youth in Boston. And then I moved to Paragold where there was only white, black, and Hispanic. Mm-hmm. And there was, you know, no black population there. Realistically speaking, I think I saw maybe two or three black families. I was the only Pakistani kid. And they probably thought you were Mexican. Yep, automatically. They were just like, you're Mexican. You've got to be Mexican because we don't know what tan skin means Mm -hmm. otherwise. Mm -hmm. You know, it's black, white, or Mexican. You have to fit into one of those three boxes. And so when I said Pakistan, people were just kind of like, oh, we have no idea what that means. Where is it? You know, and a lot of them were very, very nice. And a lot of them were very mean. I mean, I can remember to, to this day, like the names of people who were mean to me. And that was 13, you know, Mm -hmm. when I was 13 years old. So I think it's really important that kids be nice because Mm -hmm. other people will remember your name, whether you're nice or mean to them. Right. Um, But yeah, there was a lot of racism. There was a lot of not wanting... And Paragold still wasn't as bad as Jonesboro was because the next year we moved to Jonesboro because we moved around a lot uh, after we moved from Boston um, just for my dad to find what he was best suited for because his job in Boston was as a dietitian and nutritionalist for a hospital. There was no such thing in Paragold in Jonesboro. And so the only even remotely similar job he could find was at St. Bernard's Mm -hmm. Hospital in Jonesboro. So he was like, well, what if we move there? It's a quote-unquote bigger city than Paragold. And I was like, this is still really small. And Jonesboro, you know, many nice people there, I'm sure. But I find it difficult to go back even to this day because mm-hmm. I, I had such a horrible experience there. Wow. Um, it was really horrible. The kids were, and again, this is me generalizing, what I went through, kids were meaner, they were louder. Even the families were like that. You know, mm-hmm. so overall, my experience in Jonesboro was zero out of five stars. Would definitely not recommend. Wow. Yeah. My ex-husband's from Jonesboro. He called okay. it Jones Boring. And yeah. um, his mom actually was a nurse for a long, long time at St. Bernard's, I think. Super nice people. But every now and then I could hear, not that they use the N-word, although his brother would yeah. use it in jokes. I'm using air quotes. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, what? Was, what yeah. Did he just say what I think he said? He's like, don't just don't listen to him. But it was not a lot going on. Definitely all lots of white people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's gotten better. I think it has yeah, grown. But, it has grown. But as far as the culture, I have no idea what it's like now. But And I, had, yeah. I have such limited experience in Jonesboro. Well, and even if I went back right now, my experience would not be the same because I'm not a teenager anymore. I'm not having to walk the halls of a, a junior high or anything like that. So my experience would still be different. But it was it was a pretty, I would say, close to tragic time for me to have to move and then and then also just being a girl that's when you need your friends the most that's when you're learning how to build friendships and and I think all of those experiences really made me who I am or open doors for what I want to do or close some doors like why some people may not believe this, but I'm pretty standoffish sometimes because, you know, when you are that young and you have those trust issues, you start closing off mm-hmm. and you don't 
talk that much, which is weird that I'm doing a podcast talking about it. But that is something that I'm getting better at because I realize there's so many other people walking around like that. You mm-hmm. know, my story's not anything special. There's so many people walking around um, who have either been told not to talk about things or choose not to because of trust issues. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to have conversations. Yeah. I wish that your story were unusual, but um, yeah, I it's not. It is. It's yeah. not. It's not unusual in the least. Yeah. And there are things that go beyond just the usual kind of mean girl, middle school right. kind of bullshit that happens when you're a, a young kid growing up. So then when did you move to Little Rock? In 97, because we moved every year after that. Okay. So after Paragold, I moved to Jonesboro, then to another school in Jonesboro, then moved to Springdale um, because my dad found a job there. And then after Springdale, moved to Little Rock. So it was, you know, every year there was moving around. Again, that was another hindrance in me trying to get to know people because I was like, I'm just going to move anyways. Why, Why should I invest in people? Because no one has any reason to invest in me and they shouldn't, I'm going to leave and vice versa. And then so settled in Little Rock in 97. And again, I was like, we're probably just going to end up leaving again, you know, mm-hmm. but ended up staying. And did you graduate here? You... Yes. Okay. So I, when I came to Little Rock, I started my senior year in high school at Hall. So I graduated from Hall. And you have an older or younger brother? I have two younger brothers. Two younger. Yeah. So how, how much younger than you are they? Um, Were you close to them? Yes, yes. I mean, um, I would tell you what our password is, but then I'd give up my password, but that's how close we are. (laughs) (laughs) That our password means something. My middle brother, he and I are 16 or 17 months apart. So Is he the filmmaker? No, that's my baby brother. Okay, what are their names? uh, Yusuf is the middle brother, Mm -hmm. and he's a financial engineer out in California. And then Aman is the baby brother, and he's nine years younger than I am. Oh, yeah. So yeah. he's truly a baby, but does not look like one. Right, right. <laughs> um, and he's the filmmaker. Yeah. So were you and, uh, I'm sorry. Yusuf. Yusuf. And Aman, yeah. Were you and Yusuf, uh, did you rely on each other um, for a lot, support? A lot, um, especially in, in Boston. Um, and, sorry, it'll make me tear up because... He's the reason, like all of us, you know, we were links because we felt so displaced everywhere we went and we only had each other. Mm-hmm. We didn't have family here. We didn't have that many cousins here. We didn't have, I mean, in Paragold we did, but the rest of our family lived in Pakistan, you know, and slowly family members have come um, to the United States and Canada and we have more people around. But when you're that young and you're moving around constantly and you are going through the same things and your parents are busy and not that they didn't want to be there for us or anything like that, you know, you rely on who you've got closest to you. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Yusuf and I, we, we really like clutched onto each other a lot and needed each other. I mean, to this day, you know, I, I need him and, you know, hopefully he needs me too, because we still feel that way. Mm -hmm. Like it's us against the world, you know, mm-hmm. no matter what's going on in our world, we still feel like it's just us. And we're still trying to figure out what happened. You know mm-hmm. what moving around can do, you know, and I'm sure army brats know that can do a lot of psychological things to you too. And, but it can also make you stronger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gosh, there's so much I want to talk about this. Yeah. I, I need to try to keep it moving if I can, yeah, but, but I do, I do want to talk about childhood depression. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I appreciate about you is that you have been 
I guess, kind of forthcoming about struggles that you have um, when you get overwhelmed. Right. You're willing to say so. Uh, you're willing to say no, which is probably not true all of the time, but I think I feel like yes. you make these efforts. And I, I really appreciate people who do that because... I hate to, I always feel like I'm bashing social media, but it really is, is putting our best faces yeah. forward. Right. And I try not to do that. I mean, of course I want to post the good stuff, but it is so useful to know that I don't even know how to articulate what I'm saying. No, I know exactly what you're saying that sometimes there are two sides to things and you want to see the more realistic side. Mm-hmm. And I think this has been a long standing complaint of many people where we're creating this world of fake versus real, mm-hmm. you know, what is real, what is fake. And because I'm on social media so much, because I don't have a brick and mortar, because I, ha- you know, we don't advertise through marketing agencies when I've worked at restaurants or anything, social media has really been a tool for us, especially as I branched out into doing my own stuff. It's been a huge tool. It's, I, I do like to communicate. I choose what I like to communicate because it's not always a gushy story or something. So we're all choosing what we want Mm -hmm. to communicate. I don't necessarily think we're all putting our best face forward. I think sometimes for us, um, and I've been accused of that too, um, sometimes for us it's an exercise in positivity Mm -hmm. where you can rant um, and people are allowed to, and you see it every day that people do rant. But for me it's also an exercise in positivity because – I could easily say something, but I'm trying to reframe myself. Mm -hmm. And the more I reframe myself in my mentality, the better I become. So once in a while, I will kind of just lose it because I I am human and you're like, okay, enough of the positivity. And I think it comes back to being a balanced individual. Mm -hmm. So I can see how people say, you know, everybody puts their best face forward. But I also try to give people the benefit of the doubt that maybe they too are trying to choose positivity Mm -hmm. over choosing a rant that Mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. Maybe they chose to post a picture of themselves because they in fact actually felt really crappy. And they're like, no, you know what? I am a good person. I am doing okay. And here, maybe I should do something for myself. Mm -hmm. So I think there's always a background story. And those are the things that I'm interested in. I love knowing the background of stuff and why people do the things they do. So with that said, I also like to be very authentic wherever I can. I'm still working on that because I think it's such a lucid word where we don't really know what, what is authenticity. Like you weren't born being who you are. You know, Mm -hmm. not necessarily like Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to bake when I was two years old. So there are some learned traits that you gather up as you're getting older. So what you consider authentic is not, you know, it can vary from Mm -hmm. year to year. Um, But I do try to be honest about what I'm going through. Um, I try really hard to make sure that people, sometimes people need permission. And I think you never know where they find permission, you know, to be themselves Mm -hmm. or to let go. Um, It could be from one of those little memes that people post. It could be from, you know, some inspirational quote that you found hanging crocheted somewhere, but you never know where somebody can find that, that it's okay, Mm -hmm. you know? And so wherever I can push that, because I need to hear it sometimes, and sometimes I am speaking to myself. So when you're saying, you know, I give myself permission to say no, it is like I'm speaking to younger me, like say no. Mm-hmm. This is when you say no. This is when you stand up for yourself because those aren't really things that I exercised growing up. It is comforting to me to see someone like you who I perceive to be killing it. And you are. I mean, you have a wonderful family and beautiful children and you make extraordinary food. I mean, you know, all of those things. But it is just 
for someone like me who doesn't even have kids, but who is always drowning, yeah. it, it is comforting to know, okay, <laughs> yeah, you're going to be okay. You're, yeah. We're all going through things right. at different periods and it's, you're going to pull through it. So that, to me, that's comforting. One problem I have, and actually I talked off mic with this about uh, Tharwat Lovett, who I mm-hmm. interviewed, She her interview published this week. And one of the reasons I'm afraid to give things up is because I feel like I'll be letting people down. Yeah. But also that my drive to help people is, I think, based on a perceived lack of attention to my own suffering or sadness or whatever when I yeah. was a kid. And so now I feel like I'm I have to help whoever needs it because I don't feel like I got that help. So how do you know when it's time for you to take a break? I mean, I think different things for different people because obviously not everybody bakes, so they're not going to have the same experiences. So with me, even though I've found a lot of love and um, a lot of very loyal people in uh, Little Rock who want baked goods or whatever they want or cakes or something, um, it got to the point where... It, w- it was too much. It was literally too much. And I was miserable. Mm-hmm. I was absolutely miserable. But I kept saying yes, because I didn't want to let somebody down. Um, because a lot of people had stories along with their cakes. They're mm-hmm. like, hey, my, my daughter just got out of rehab. And all she's wanted is one of your cakes. And then you're like, how do I say no to that? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you don't say no to that, even though you know, my husband's like, well, we're going out of town at six o'clock that morning, you know, like, so I'm on the phone trying to figure out like, well, who can help me with this delivery and try to do all this background stuff that people don't get to see. So it's a very valid question. Like where, where's the line? And I think it slowly happens once you see what you need. And we've been taught from a very young age. I don't know about you, but probably you too. Don't be selfish, right? Don't be selfish. Um, being selfish is bad. And how is selfishness defined when we're kids? Is thinking only about yourself. You're not thinking about others. But at what point do you think so much about others that you forget about yourself? And mm-hmm. then you feel negative. Like my mom feels bad if she goes shopping for herself, you know, or she feels bad if she says no to things that her kids need. And so we all took her lead. Like we, if she can deal with it, then so can we, mm-hmm. you know? So for me personally, to answer your question, my line was I had to take a step back altogether just to figure out what I needed. I was lacking sleep and I mean, just to be completely honest, I had two miscarriages because I was working at, I mean, no doctor said it is exactly because of that, but I know in my heart, I was working 90 hours a week. I was on my feet all the time. Mm-hmm. I was not drinking enough water. I was not taking vitamins. I was not getting, you know, but like three, four hours of sleep. And then when I would wake up, it was kind of stressful I was still pulled together and was able to to knock it out of the park, mm-hmm. per se, and just do it um, and get on with it. But what was happening was you're kind of pushing all of your drained emotional energy in, onto the back burner. You're mm-hmm. like, I'll deal with it. I'll deal with it. I'll mm-hmm. deal with it. And for me, it turned into almost rage. And I'm not a rageful person. I'm not a vengeful person. I'm not an angry person. I'm a helper like you, and I started seeing all of that stuff disappear where if somebody said something, I automatically took it to mean that they were trying to take advantage of me because Mm -hmm. that's what I'd felt for so long, but I wasn't articulating that. Mm And there was no one to blame except me, you know? And that's, that was a weird realization that I had to come to terms with was like, there's no, 
no bad guy in this story. Mm-hmm. You know, people are going to ask you for things. It doesn't make them pet and bad people. It's how you word things and how you communicate things. So I would tell people, I would love to, but I'm overwhelmed at the moment. Please keep me in mind for the future. That was my go-to things. Some people, I would get pushback, like, please, just this one time. And if it was possible, I would do it, you know, but if it was not, I wasn't going to bend. I was still going to be very civil because I found myself being full of anger. Like, why am I being wronged and no one cares, you know? And I felt very um, unheard, very unseen, um, not asked about, like, no one would ask, like, how are you doing? How Mm -hmm. are you really doing? You know, Mm -hmm. everyone's like, oh, you're doing great, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And so I was like, you know what? I'm a grown up. (laughs) I need to do this. Mm -hmm. I need to stick up for myself. Like I stick up for my kids and I need to show them like, no, this is not healthy. Mm -hmm. So again, um, for everyone, the line is different, but for me, it was just trying to reconnect with my needs. I needed sleep. I needed to be healthier and I needed to take care of the kids that I was given and stop losing more kids. Mm -hmm. Um, so those were the, the focuses that I had. I said, whatever it takes to realign these focuses, I will say no to. And then after that, we'll see where the chips fall. But for right now, these are my focuses. Mm-hmm. So everybody's focus is different. Right. And w- were you able to hear, I'm assuming that John would say, you're not doing well, you should slow down. If oh, he, absolutely. If, and, and were you able to hear that? Um, he'll answer differently. He'll say that I'm the most stubborn stubborn head. And that's true to a certain degree, um, just because I have a very ambitious mindset. Um, but yes, he would tell me all the time. He's like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. He's like, this is not okay. This is not healthy. You've taken a hobby and you've turned it into the devil. Mm -hmm. Like it, this is not okay. Like, look at what you're doing. You are busy from the minute you wake up to, you know, till three in the morning and you're getting three hours of sleep and then you're rushing off here and then there's a mess here or there's. I'm making the kids wait and not to mention that we didn't fill every moment we could with happiness and fun moments and all of that kind of stuff. But it was, he would tell me all the time and I, and I heard him, but again, how do you stop a train that is Mm -hmm. going 90 miles an hour? Mm -hmm. Because the only way to do it is to crash. Mm -hmm. So I had to figure out an internal way to slow down so I wouldn't crash. But it's hard to explain that to somebody when they don't visualize what is happening inside your mind and your, because it, it's like telling somebody to just jump off, right? Be like, just, just jump off. It's right. like, well, it's not that easy. I'm going to hurt myself mm-hmm. doing that. I have to figure out a way to slow down myself. Mm-hmm. And eventually that is what I did. I spent the last year, year and a half doing exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. My husband is, does not talk about such things. I mean, he's very, um, uh, shy, but he, I imagine that he wonders what the hell I'm doing Yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. because something is not working for me right now. Mm-hmm. And so what I don't explain, and he hasn't asked me to, he probably knows this, but is that it is always going on in my brain. Yeah. Like I am always trying to figure out what I'm doing, how I can do things differently. I just have not figured it out yet. And so, so it is kind of like that speeding train. Like yeah. I know that I'm trying to slow it down and, you know, pull into the station. Um, I'm just still kind of working on that. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I was going to try to do this kind of chronologically, but um, what was the name of your parents' restaurant? Um, Masala Grill and Tea House. Oh, yes, yes. yes. Uh, and did they start that? How long did they have that restaurant? Um, not very long. Probably, I would say, 
two and a half, three years, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, I could be wrong because that is exactly when I was in law school and had Rosick in law school. Yeah. So I was very sleep deprived for law school reasons and baby reasons. But yes, they had that restaurant and it was, it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. It was co-owned by my brother, Aman, because he'd all, always had this concept of having really gourmet Pakistani food, but really like earthy and like not feeling like you're just in a nice restaurant, but he also wanted to do a tea house because there was no such thing around Mm -hmm. here at that time. Everything was a coffee shop. So he was like, we need to accentuate all the, all the teas we can. So we had like a full functioning tea house there, which is what a lot of people came to enjoy is have the teas. And then I would make the pastries there or some dessert. So it was a really cool place to come have just like chai and um, some pastries. So they had that for a few years. And did they enjoy it while they had it? You're going to get mixed answers. Yeah. It's a lot <laughs> uh, of work. It was, it was a lot of work. Both yeah. my parents had full-time jobs at the same oh. time. We had um, chefs run out on us. Chefs steal from us. People not show up for for their shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you sign on to be a restaurant owner, that's what you're signing up to do, to get in that kitchen and cook and clean up. And so we were there quite a bit. I was bussing tables in law school. Uh, one of my really good friends, um, she worked there as a waitress and... You know, it was it was a lot of hard work, and at the end of the day, um, my dad's health started suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and my mom was like, "This is not worth it." Mm-hmm. My mom is very wise. Mm-hmm. My dad is the ambitious one, and we got a lot of his ambition. Where he's like, "Anything's possible," mm-hmm. and my mom is like, "Not if you're dead." Right. That's <laughs> you right. know. So she's the the common sense in the, and he's the dreamer, mm-hmm. and they're a great combination. Um, and they're actually a perfect combination because you know, it balances Mm -hmm. those scales. But, um, yeah, we eventually had to, just because it was just enormous amount of work. It was just hard to find chefs who would stick around. And then the physical toll that it was taking on both of them, because my mom was having to go in there and cook. It was just too much. Mm -hmm. So I was like, it's sad to see something so successful Mm -hmm. go down, but we, it, it just wasn't feasible. So that was a learning point for me too. Right. So did you say that you started baking when you were two? No, I'm saying I didn't know, like, no, baby would know how to bake. You learn things. (laughs) But I did start uh, baking when I was six. Did your mom teach you? How did you learn? No. um, My mom wasn't, um, she's an amazing cook, but she was not a baker at all. And the reason she became an amazing cook is she had to learn after she got married because when they lived in Pakistan, they had cooks and, you know, people, the house cleaners, they had a whole staff living with them. Mm -hmm. She didn't really have to cook. When she got married and moved to New York while my dad was completing his master's there, she was like calling my oldest aunt saying, I don't know how to cook and I have to make dinner every night. Mm -hmm. Like this is like, this is a thing we have to cook every (laughs) night. So she would learn, which is one of the sweetest stories is she would learn via phone from Pakistan with my Mm -hmm. aunts. Like, okay, what do I do now? And you know, and it would be at such odd hours mm-hmm. that she would either make it ahead or write everything down. So no, she is not an avid cook, not an avid baker or anything. It was just something I had in me, but she is a huge force in why, because she never said no. Mm-hmm. I would make the biggest mess. I'll, that cookbook up there, that light baby blue one, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's my first cookbook ever. Wow. Um, and my mom would have me pick out anything I want out of there. And she'd go get the groceries and or the ingredients. I'd follow the directions. She'd tell me the directions. And 
She never once said something didn't turn out right. She never once said you made too big of a mess. You can't make a mess like this. There were no limits. She placed no limits. So better than teaching me how to cook, she did something even more important by telling me this is your creative zone. Mm -hmm. Do whatever you want here. And because of that, I felt safe enough to move forward. So I was I pretty much baked that entire book. Do you know why for your creative outlet you chose baking? I don't know. I was always drawn to it. Um, I'm actually, I say this only to myself. I may not have any support in it, but I think I'm a better cook than I am a baker. Um, so I've always liked cooking and baking. Um, I think it's just working with your hands Mm -hmm. and having an end product be ready so quickly. So Mm -hmm. you can see, you know, even art painting on a canvas can take a few weeks and other than sourdough or kimchi or something that you're fermenting, cooking is pretty quick you can have an end product and you can hone your skills very quickly because you can be like okay next time I'm not gonna put them on that much salt or next time I think it needs a little bit of this and your next time can be tomorrow so Mm -hmm. you can perfect yourself very quickly but at that age I didn't know any of that I just liked being in the kitchen Mm -hmm. I just liked cooking and baking and and I I can't explain why (laughs) well and you get immediate uh, feedback from from people exactly especially if you're getting positive feedback Um, I still remember when I made my first dinner, I made my entire dinner from scratch. I made this honey mustard chicken with potatoes and some vegetable of some sort. And I, I dressed up the table and I went and got, got a, like a pretty dress on and everything. And my mom was like, Hey everybody, she made dinner for us tonight. And you know, she's like, come on, everybody have a seat. And she made it very special. And I remember her putting the chicken back in the oven. Mm -hmm. And I was like, why is she doing that? Why is she trying to mess with my recipe? And I know now as an adult that the chicken wasn't fully cooked, right. but she told me the sweetest thing. She said, let me rewarm it. You know, like, let's heat it up again just to make sure it's really nice and warm. So when everybody sits down, it'll be heated perfectly for them. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's perfect. But when mm. I got older, I was like, it was in there for a long time. I bet that chicken wasn't cooked. <laughs> yeah. um, but she didn't, she didn't tell me like, oh, you didn't cook the mm-hmm. chicken. It's not fully done. It was just, and it was that soft kind of leadership mm-hmm. that she showed me um, that I felt safe in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. That's really sweet. Very. My mom, if you get a chance to meet her, is probably, both my parents are, I think, angels walking on earth. Like yeah. they can, they're just really sweet and soft and kind beings. And they taught us to be very soft and kind. And any rough edges that we've had, we kind of accumulated on our own. Mm-hmm. But they even then they tell us to like soften ourselves and be flexible and be kind mm-hmm. whenever we get the chance. Mm-hmm. I need to work on that myself. Yeah, I think we all do. <laughs> so, so uh, did you, why did you go to law school? Well, my mom told me when I was very little, because I like to argue, she's like, you'd be a great lawyer. But I didn't like to argue for the sake of a fight. Like some people like to mm-hmm. fight. And um, I remember very clearly that I always just wanted to know why. Mm. Um, I didn't like to be fed because I said so, or because I was just genuinely curious. So that's why you won't ever see me being a litigator because I don't like to fight. I really don't like that, but I do like information. I've always liked information. I like to know how things work, why they work the way they do. And realistically, in the end, it came down to me going to culinary school or going to law school. And I looked into the CIA in New York and it was almost a hundred grand to Mm -hmm. go there. 
and then you had to live there, have the transportation costs. I was already married. John had a job here. A lot of moving parts, a lot of moving parts. And in a common sense way, you know, my parents were like, you can always cook without a license. You don't need a culinary degree to cook. It comes from the soul. They can teach you a lot of things that maybe you can't learn on your own. But as a whole, you can cook. Mm -hmm. You can never practice law without that piece of paper. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to spend the same amount, double up your skills. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I mean, it's never stopped me from cooking. I'm not going to some culinary institute. But I do like knowing I have that law license in my back pocket. So that was, that was one of the main reasons. I was just kind of juggling which one to do. Did you practice law at all? No, not at a firm. Not at a firm. When I, uh, when I graduated out of law school, we were thinking about moving to California. Mm-hmm. And which is kind of funny. That's how my pastry career started here. So not at a firm. But I worked at uh, a law firm for eight years before going to law school. So that kind of messed with my mind quite a bit when I went to law school because they would be like, well, you have to do it this way. I'm like, you don't. That's not how you file this. Mm -hmm. Like you do this and this. So I had the practical knowledge of, and I I still think law schools should combine practical knowledge with the theoretical that they're teaching because it clashes so much. Um, So no, even though I didn't work afterwards, I I take on a lot of pro bono cases right now. It's that giving it back. So Mm -hmm. a lot of families who can't afford stuff or they're stuck in a bind or if I can you know, fix whatever problem they have with a couple of letters. Um, I'll do pro bono work like that. Um, the biggest case I had was like this huge international citizenship thing, um, which was fun and took a lot of research. Yeah. That's a very specialized area, very specialized area. But, um, again, I liked doing it. Not, I wouldn't like doing it every day. Yeah, but I have a love hate relationship with it. I like yeah. solving problems. I right. I like the why of things. I like figuring things out, um, but I don't like the adversarial aspect of it. Yeah, I say that. I mean, I've never met a challenge I didn't like. Right. You right. know, but I don't want to be that way. Exactly. That's why I have to be careful about people I hang out with because I can really get sucked into negativity very quickly because yeah. it's all right there under the surface with me. Mm-hmm. But there are just so many people who can be helped and who need help. And that's why I'm trying to build this low cost firm for people who represent yeah. themselves because I just want to make sure they do it right. Yeah. They're going to help themselves anyway. I may as well make, make sure, sure they do it right. Yeah. yeah. You don't yeah. come across hurdles. You don't know right. how to get over. Right. So then when do you think, when did you become what you would call a pastry chef? Like officially? Um, really weirdly it was after I graduated um I was deciding whether I should take the bar exam in California or in Little Rock or in Arkansas I should say so I was deciding to do that and in the meantime I decided to do something fun because I was like well I don't want to actually I had already taken the California bar and the California bar their results don't come out for four months Mm -hmm. it's like something insane Mm -hmm. so you take it in like July or something and the results come out in end of November, December, like something crazy. So that summer I was like, well, I don't want to work for a little rock firm and then pass the California bar and then just move. But I can't work for California bar because I'm not out there. Mm -hmm. So John was like, well, why don't you forget law for a second? You've been real stressed out. I had both kids in law school and he was like, why don't you just do something fun for the summer? You don't have to do anything, you know, to make money or make a career because we're just in limbo right now. Why don't you just do something fun? Um, And I saw on Facebook that Natchez was looking for a pastry chef. I knew I could bake. I was like... R.I.P. Natchez. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you on a side note later 
why we miss nachos so much, but um, I applied as a pastry chef. I emailed Alexis Jones, um, who's still such a dear friend to this day. Um, I emailed her and I was like, hey, I would love to apply for this pastry chef position. And she's like, send me your resume. And I'm like, "Mm, you don't have one. Um, So I created a resume real quick. um, And I told her I, you know, baked for my parents' restaurant. And, um, but she's like, okay, come in and do a two-week stage. Because uh, I think it was Matt Lohman had just left to go work at South on Main. Mm -hmm. And so she was like, come do a two-week stage. And I was like, okay. And this is where my, you know, parents parenting comes in and they've always said make yourself useful you know if you don't sit idly when somebody needs help so even though there was no she asked me to make a couple of pastries and I did and um for two weeks I mean what was there to do in downtime after you're done making your pastries what do you what do you do you just sit there so instead of sitting there I started reorganizing her pantry I started reorganizing like her stock pots or I say reorganizing, organizing them because it was kind of just like all in there. And she told me later, she's like, that's pretty much what the, the, you know, that sealed the deal. She's like, um, because you, you saw something that needed something and you didn't ask permission. You just did it. And she's like, those are the kind of people I want. So she went on to hire me. And within six months we were nominated for best dessert in Little Rock. And I was just shocked. But again, it's because somebody took a chance on me and mm-hmm. gave me permission to do something mm-hmm. that I was able to. Otherwise, I don't think I would have had even remotely this kind of career. So I credit a lot of it to Alexis saying mm-hmm. yes. So Natchez was so wonderful. And I wish Absolutely. that we could have personally supported it and yes. kept it open. Yes. Uh, it was really high quality, delicious food. Yes. Um, so was it after then that you worked for the Yellow Rocket guys? Um, it was almost simultaneously um, because I worked at Natchez for, I think, three years. But towards that last year, I got I started getting asked by different restaurants if I would curate their dessert menus. Mm-hmm. and Because the restaurant community is so small, everybody kind of knows everybody. And so I was very happy that we were runner-ups to, to trios for desserts, which has trios, as you know, is an institution in mm-hmm. Rock, And I was just like... Oh, you know, we make, we make good desserts here. Um, so I think word got out, um, after that nomination, a lot of people reached out to me, restaurant owners and said, Hey, we need help with our dessert program. Will you come talk to us? Okay. So I met with different restaurateurs and told them like, this is what you need. This is what you need, or this is what you need. Take off this off your menu. So that was the first step and it's me going in and looking at restaurant menus and saying, what's going to work, what's not going to work, and trying their product and saying, where are you getting this product? Why is it on the menu? So that was the first step. And then the second step was people were like, will you just make the desserts for us? I was like, yeah, sure. So I got permission from uh, Alexis to use the kitchen and made the desserts for the restaurants and had them delivered. And so that was kind of like the beginnings of that. And Alexis, again, super kind, was like she could have easily said no Mm -hmm. you're not making desserts for any other restaurant what are you talking about you work here she didn't say that she didn't stifle creativity um she was just like yeah of course do what you have to do you know so it started off with like three restaurants then four restaurants and then um yellow rocket reached out to me and said you know will you make desserts for us as well so i was like okay and started making desserts for yellow rocket restaurants and um after a while it was just 
too many restaurants, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's when I told you, um, that had gone on for like a year and a half. And I was like, I am clocking in at 90 hours a week. Mm -hmm. I mean, between deliveries, the actual work, the buying of the ingredients, doing your tax forms, turning in invoices, you know, and then the Yellow Rocket um, places too. I was training the staff on the the new desserts because they had desserts, uh, new desserts every month. So it was like a process of trying to come up with the the mental load of coming up with new desserts that would actually work, that aren't lazy, that aren't like, oh, I just, whatever, I came up with something. So that's when it started becoming like, what am I doing? This mm-hmm. is a lot of work this mm-hmm. is a, for one person. So that's kind of how it kind of grew. And then what? Um, and then I stopped. <laughs> <laughs> just because, um, as I mentioned earlier, I'd had two miscarriages. It was a lot of, just personally speaking, we had wanted a third um, in a, in for a while. And the first one, the first miscarriage was very, very serious and very scary. Um, and they didn't really expect me to make it through because apparently I'd been walking around with internal bleeding for so long. They were like, wow, you were going to bleed out and die. And I remember I had my first ever cooking class. Um, I think this happened on Wednesday. My first cooking class was on a Saturday morning. And I was like, well, can I do the surgery after my cooking class? And I remember the doctor laughing at me and saying, you'll be dead by Friday. Wow. Yeah. She's like, no, this is like, we're taking you now, honey. We're wheeling you down. I was like, oh, so I can't teach my first ever cooking class. (laughs) She's like, no. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. So that, that should have made me stop, but I didn't. I kept going. And then a year and a half later had my second miscarriage. And that one wasn't as severe, but still, you know, the recovery period and everything. Again, I could have stopped or slowed down. I didn't. And I just kept going to the point that we were talking about earlier. It was just always running in and out the door. I mean, we would be going on vacation and I would be like, hey, John, we have to drop off 20 cakes first. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what? Mm -hmm. We're trying to, like, we have a flight. And I'm like, I know, but I have 20 cakes that need to get delivered. Wow. Like, we have to go drop them off. Like, they're not going to have any cakes. And I don't have a helper who can do this. And it became so much to the point where it wasn't a hobby anymore. It wasn't something fun I was doing to keep myself occupied. It had turned into almost a monster. And I think it would have been fine if I had a, a brick and mortar and another couple of people to help me run run with it, you know, but that was never really what I had signed up for in the beginning. So it was like me having to switch tracks and think about like, well, is this what I really want to do? And I kind of entertained the thought of having a bakery for a while with, you know, different investors too. And just kind of thinking maybe I need to take it a step further, but for various reasons, those didn't work out. And it's been, I've been very grateful because I think I would have been still in that 90 hour work track. So mm-hmm. I kind of stopped cold turkey. I kind of just told everybody like, this is too much. Cannot do this myself. Absolutely impossible to do this myself. Here's my, you know, two weeks notice basically. Mm -hmm. And I'm taking myself off the the chopping block. You know, I'm just like, I have to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. I have to do this. And um, I got, I think somebody wrote an article like a day after I like, Little Rock News Community is also very quick. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So they knew that I'd like resign from all these places. And they wrote an article about it. Like, she's not making desserts for any restaurants anymore. And I got a flood of phone calls, which I was like, I didn't even know anybody knew this, you mm-hmm. know? 
And a lot of people were like, um, why? What happened? What are you doing? And somebody actually even told me that it was a disgrace because I was taking a God-given talent and throwing it in the trash. What? Yes. So I got feedback like that too. I got stuff from people I never even knew. They were like, the least you can do is post all the recipes. And I was like, I don't have to do anything, <laughs> you know? So oh I, got, God. I got a lot of lashback for that um, from people I didn't even know who would like just pop into my inbox and be like, um, this is disgraceful and you need to post the recipes for everybody if you're going to quit. Um, and that was the beauty of me working for myself, which is what I've always wanted. I didn't want to work for anybody else and have the recipes turned into them. Because I could say, no, these are all my developed mm -hmm. recipes that I worked on since I was a young kid. I'm not turning them in. But anyways, I did get a lot of lashback, which made me wonder if I should have said no. Because whenever you say no for the first time, you're met with lashback. Mm -hmm. But the lashbacks slowly don't feel as bad as you get stronger and you develop your backbone. Where your backbone doesn't have to be like an aggressive, like, no, I will take care of myself mm -hmm. and not do it. It turns into... I would love to in the future. I can't right now. Mm -hmm. So you can soften your nose and say it in a way where you're still in charge. Mm -hmm. I am horrified to, yeah. to hear that people <laughs> would say that. Oh, yes. I, I, I consider it a gift to us that you even like deign to make these creations and oh, post them on Facebook you. so I can see them. <laughs> I mean, like that's, uh, yeah, I, we should never do anything that, that doesn't, um, I, I turned into Phyllis. a commodity. Yeah. I feel like yeah. I turned into the commodity. Mm -hmm. um, people who would, uh, like my close friends and people who ordered from me always knew who I was, but there were so many new people mm -hmm. who were ordering who didn't care who I was from Jane. Mm -hmm. So they talked to me poorly. Um, like I said, the majority of the people have been fine, but if I set a price, which is really hard to do because earlier when I was doing this, I was losing $2 a cake mm -hmm. because John did the math and he was like, you are losing us money. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. I was like, well, Little Rock doesn't want to pay that much for a cake. And mm -hmm. he's like, it doesn't matter how much they want to pay. You can't lose money. Yeah. And, um, so when I would increase the prices, I would begrudgingly do that. I would be so like, oh my God, I can't do this. You know, I don't want to charge this much. And I told a certain woman that, the, the cake that she wanted designed was X amount of dollars. And she came back to me. She was like, what? I can go up the street and go to Kroger and, you know, and do this, which is insulting because yeah. I'm not making you Kroger cakes, but also too the, the mental anguish of always having to fight for your worth in mm -hmm. this industry mm -hmm. is really hard. Mm -hmm. Um, because you, no one goes to their job, a salary job. And every day they have to be like, listen, boss, I'm really worth this much. Mm -hmm. I know you're trying to underpay me today, but I promise I can do the job and I can do it well. You're constantly having to sell yourself. And especially when you're not a marketer, it turns you into somebody you don't want to be because mm -hmm. you have to constantly say, well, okay, go to Kroger. Or my take was like, well, ma'am, I, I understand that, but I use real butter and I use vanilla from here. And I found myself saying, why am I telling her right. all this stuff? Right. But it was just to make her feel like no you're you're getting a good deal right so you're constantly selling yourself which is also a horrible feeling yeah I can relate to an extent when I had the candy store which was really fun again it was a great experiment I'm glad that I tried and right. I'm glad I'm not doing it anymore but I could never compete with Walmart prices yeah. and I 
kept that stuff as low as I possibly could, but people would still complain about freaking Japanese candy that I had to order from people who don't speak English, right. you know, from mm-hmm. Japan yeah. or European chocolates or, you know, and I, I didn't get too fancy because I knew that they're, you know, especially at the outlet mall, the, yeah, there's not the market was market, that, right. right. And we were right next to Lint Chocolate. Thank you very much, outlet mall. But anyway, <laughs> so... But it was this, I did feel like I was constantly having to justify my prices, which again, were as low as I could possibly make them, pay rent, make Mm -hmm. payroll, insurance. I mean, just all of the things. And so it's, um, and I I would guess that it's that way for most people in retail. I don't really know. But of course, if someone's going to spend, I don't know what your prices were. I never ordered a cake, but I mean, I know women in Little Rock who charge a thousand dollars for a cake, right? literally, and they get it right? Because yeah. if that's what you want, if you want that quality or that name or whatever it is, you're going to pay for it. Right. Right. And Otherwise just go to Kroger. Just go to Kroger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so those are people who didn't really know me and I'm not saying that my name touted that much worth or whatever, but those were people who didn't know me. They were just like, saw a cake posted by a friend of a friend and saw that I was tagged. So sent me a message and no one knows that she even reached out to me and was like, what, you know, your mm-hmm. prices are crazy. And I'm like, actually, I'm not making anything off your cake right yeah. now, you know? Yeah. And um, so that coupled with the time constraints, I was like, this is not fun anymore. Mm-hmm. Like my my creativity is going down because I did this because I felt like this creative need to do it, you know? And after you, you get treated as a commodity and not as a person, People are saying, um, you know, I just want your name. I don't, I don't care about the rest. You're, you know, you're kind of like, that makes no sense. So, I mean, there are good things about this town because if you are truly talented, as many other people are here, you will get recognized for it and mm-hmm. you'll get recognition, which is great. You know, Little Rock is extremely good about that. Um, and they're constantly looking for new people too, which is great. But the bad thing is people are like, well, who the hell do you think you are? You know, Mm -hmm. you also have that backlash. Like, how dare you charge me for this cake? Or how dare you tell me that date's not available? Mm -hmm. Because I've had people tell me, like, please, pretty please do it for me. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, but I just, do you know how much courage it took for me to say no to you in the first place? So um, it's it's been a tough balance. Um, And having to, like I said, having to fight for yourself is exhausting mm-hmm. on a daily basis. Yeah. And it was almost on a daily basis. People are like, well, can you do it? How much would it be if I just got this? So you're just doing the back and forth or, you know, or the main reason I don't want to do auction cakes anymore is because everyone who got an auction cake would be like, well, yeah, I want the auction cake, but make it a serving, you know, for 40 people instead, because mm-hmm. it's my daughter's birthday. Mm-hmm. And I don't care how much extra you charge me. I'm like, that's not what I signed up for. Right. You know, I signed up for this for a reason. Um, and that's what and they're like, we'll pay extra. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not. So anyways, they're like a whole bunch of little things that people don't see behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. So all of that led to me saying, no, there's a moratorium on cakes mm-hmm. and goodies right now. We are so entitled, aren't we? People are very yeah. entitled. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, so, okay. Um, so then you have is it safe to say you transitioned into another phase or what are you doing? Now? I have transitioned into a different phase. Um, like we were saying earlier, it's taken me about a year and a half to put myself in a healthy relationship with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was, it, it was not healthy. And I, and I think a lot of women and men, they keep 
staying on that friggin' train. They stay there. When common sense will tell you, get off. When your friends will tell you, get off or slow down or whatever. And I don't know if it's, if it's pride or whatever it is that makes us not, or if it's just complacency. We're just used to it. Mm-hmm. You know, what are we going to do if we don't do that? But I do know that, knock on wood, I'm not a very scared person. I'm not really scared of things. So I, I don't have that fear of slowing down, you know, um, because a lot of people told me, they're like, well, your name is going to be worthless if you try to come back. And I'm like, I, I'm not doing this for my name. I'm not doing this for monetary gain or, or fame or whatever. I'm like, I, I did it because it was fun. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and if I come back and do more cakes later, it'll be because I want to. You know, it's not going to be because a market doesn't exist for me. It's a creative outlet. So it took me a year and a half of transitioning into a phase of taking care of myself, putting my kids first. Um, And it worked out really well because we were in the middle of a move anyways. We had decided to get a new house. And we'd be moving the kids out of a school that they've known for years. And it was the perfect reason for me to focus my time and energy and attention on them for any mental things that they would need because it comes full circle to when I was having to move all the time and having those kind of anxieties and just for the lack of knowledge that was around at that time no one really cared because people moved around all the time like why is it a big deal to you you know but it was it was a big deal to me even though I didn't speak up so I want to make sure that I'm here for my kids in case moving and moving out of school that they've known and the teachers and the friends they've had for so long is going to affect them in a psychological way. So it's been the perfect transition for me to take time and have a breather and come back stronger if I want to, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, there's no, no timeline for me because I really do try to practice my life. Like all those memes and inspirational quotes out there. I'm like, what good are they? If you're just reading them and saying, yeah, that's a good one. Okay. Scroll past that. Oh yeah. That's, that's something that if you're not applying positive things that you see, read and hear, then what are you doing? Mm-hmm. So all those Hallmark movies and lifetime movies that tell you to slow down and focus on the present and not the future all the time. I really try to live that, you know, and try to make the things special wherever I can because who cares what tomorrow brings if you can take care of the things you need to today? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like if you're always waiting for tomorrow to be happy, then what good is your today? So I have no qualms about, um, you know, if I come back and decide to come back or bake or in the future and no one knows me and it's like, oh, who's this, who's this Zara girl who wants to bake? I don't care. You know, I I really don't care because I started off doing it because I liked it and it turned into this monster that I didn't anticipate. And, um, I, I still like doing it for my family, but I also like to be rational. Like my mom is and say this is who I need to be right now Mm -hmm. I can be whoever I want in three months no one's going to stop me from that but for right now this is who I want to be and I love playing different roles throughout my life I love transitioning into different roles I love that because um life is too short to just be one way and just be one thing all the time so I'm like oh okay for right now I get to be Mm -hmm. the the mom who bakes the cookies after school and watching the kids with their homework before, you know, they're going off to college. Mm -hmm. So in three months, if I want to be 
you know, a baker again or a lawyer again or whatever again, then I'll wait in three months to see what happens. Are you concentrating more on cooking? So I follow you on Instagram. Yes. And you do just what look like delicious dishes um, and you'll post recipes right. and right. So is that intentional or is that just kind of you living your life and, and letting us peek at it? It's, it's a little of both. both. Um, yeah. Because just because I've transitioned into this aspect of my life doesn't mean my creativity is stopped because I'm always looking for a creative outlet. So what I've been doing recently is been writing articles for magazines. So what I do is post uh, monthly recipes, themed recipes or anything. That way I'm still able to create what I want without a 90 hour time constraint, you mm-hmm. know, on top of me and constantly delivering um, desserts. So this way I'm able to do two things that I really like, still create recipes, but also connect with other people. Um, and in, in addition to that, I'm teaching a lot more classes, um, especially at the at UCA, their uh, community outreach program it has been really great. So they have hands-on classes there. I love teaching. I've been teaching at Eggshells for years. Um, so I'm continuing doing that because that is still a facet of what I love doing, but it doesn't, those are the things I'm willing to say yes to mm-hmm. right now. And I get to choose what I say yes to because I've said no to, you know, X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, so the things I was not able to say yes to um, before because of my time constraints are joy um, in my life now. So these cooking classes, posting recipes for the, uh, for the magazines and writing. So there are two different magazines I write for. Savvy, Arkansas Savvy, um, which is phenomenal. Um, so every month we have themed recipes whether it's a dessert or three or four dishes or something like that, and then have a shoot to show you exactly how things are supposed to look. And then also for soiree and having a themed recipe every month online for Mm -hmm. them. So it keeps my creative juices going and it's like the exact amount of creativity I need right now. Mm -hmm. So I get to do both. I get to juggle both. Do you do recipe testing as well? Oh my goodness. Yes, I do. I do a lot of that. So all the recipes that I write um, for these magazines are tested by me. All the food classes, um, you know, all the cooking classes, I mean, all of those are tested by me. And basically anything I've ever typed up, I have developed by myself, which is not easy to do, and which means I've tested it beforehand before writing the final draft, mm-hmm. before I send it off or print it off for anybody else to learn. So that is something that I like about myself because when you see other people posting um, recipes, they're like, here's my, you know, favorite so-and-so recipe. It's like, well, who was it developed by and what do you like about it and what makes it you, mm-hmm. you know, because I think we can easily go online and find any recipe we want, but it's testing it and tweaking it and making it what you need it to be is it's hard work, mm-hmm. but I, I enjoy that. I absolutely enjoy that. Yeah. I really want you to do a TV show. <laughs> Find me someone who will do it. <laughs> I mean, I I just think that you would be such a compelling um, host well, of, a, of a show. Yeah, and I'm gonna ask you a question. This is a personal question that I just thought of. Um, so I watch Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat, yes. and I have the the book. Yeah. And what I can't figure out is what salt she's using to salt the water for pasta. Like she tells this whole story and you know at at French Laundry or wherever she was, she was like more salt, more salt, and she was like, "Are you crazy?" But it was actually perfect. Yeah. Well. I don't know what kind of salt that is because table salt is too salty. Right. But sea salt doesn't seem to do anything. Here, I'll show you. Okay. Hold on. 
So I'll show oh. you. It's kosher salt oh. that she's using. Yes. This is the only salt that I use, even in baking. That's the only salt I use. Table salt is, because they're smaller granules, it packs a punch. Okay. These are, like you can see, they're yep. flaked. I just, I'm going to... Yeah, I'm gonna for make the a sound. <laughs> okay. So I will grab almost half a fistful and throw it in the pasta. Okay. Water. Yeah, I tried that recently, and it was like with with salt. Yeah. And I was like, Oh no 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 no! I said I don't think I don't think this is right. <laughs> no. Yeah, that because I mean just looking at it, this flake is yes. Kosher salt. This is at Kroger. That's okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm, so I'm looking at the box. It's a Morton uh, kosher salt. You yeah, you can get the Kroger brand as well. Okay. All right, quick little break while we hear from our sponsor. We'll be right back. I started Women Lead Arkansas in 2013 as an effort to train women to run for office. I made it nonpartisan because I want all women to have access to resources so they can become engaged in politics, policy, and leadership, regardless of their beliefs and backgrounds. Show your support by going to womenleadarkansas.org and get 15% off hoodies, t-shirts, and mugs by using discount code UPPITY, U-P-P-I-T-Y. The times we're living in cause me great anxiety, which I discuss in many of the episodes, but I know we can do better. Help Women Lead bring more people and resources together to make Arkansas the best it can be for everyone. Go to womenleadarkansas.org and use the discount code UPPITY for 15% off our merchandise. We are all in this together. All right, welcome back. Zara and I started talking about what she is up to now, and that's what we're going to jump right back into. My Instagram is a little bit more focused on all my culinary things, mm -hmm. um, and I hope to branch out at some point. Um, the reason I chose that name, as I was telling you earlier, is it's not so much because it focuses on me or my name. It is because I thought ahead for once. And the reason it's called Zara Made It is because the ending tagline is supposed to be and so can you, because I really want to help people be confident in themselves. I don't think it's just some natural born talent or anything. I think it's learned. I think if you immerse yourself in anything, you will learn it very quickly and you'll start thinking with your palate mm -hmm. before you start thinking with anything else. It's just like anything else. The more you're around it, the better you'll be. Mm -hmm. And so I really want to encourage people because so many people won't even take a stab at it because it's funnier to make fun of themselves and saying, mm -hmm. oh, I'll burn the house down before I do that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of a negative connotation that we're imposing on ourselves. Like we're just so bad at learning that we are not capable of learning. And I want to kind of squash that. And I really want to say you are capable of learning. It's not as hard as you think. You're just not willing to put the emotional energy behind it. You mm -hmm. just are not used to it because you don't know how you'll get from step one to step five, but it really can be broken down into baby steps. So I use my Instagram for all of that and helping promote people and doing question and answer sessions on the recipes I post. But I, I don't know where, when I'm going to start um, doing cakes and baking anymore. Like I said, I'm, I'm taking a break from that, but as far as recipes go, they're constantly on my Instagram. Yeah, they look wonderful. And I would love to do a class or something on sauces. So like, yes. I just never know what to do with a piece of chicken. Yeah. But it would be nice to have a little moisture. You know exactly. what I mean? And But I don't know. I just use store-bought jars of right. stuff. And that's a really important class that you're talking about. It, I mean, it is like a whole course at CIA. I mean, you learn mother sauces. Mother sauces are the base of every sauce that you're going to create. So you have to know 
the X amount of mother sauces and what this one, you know, what the difference between a bechamel and a Mornay is and what you have to add and what meats it goes well with and which seafood it goes well with. But once you figure that out, because it is exactly like law, right? Law has this big umbrella and then has a part A, you know, A1, B, B1 and B2. Once you can visualize that in your head, you're like, that's not that hard. Right. It, it's just five components and it goes back under this umbrella. And then you're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. You know, it goes there. So if you can visualize, um, different codes, you can visualize mother sauces very easily. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be like, oh yeah, I used that with shrimp last time. It'll go great with this cod because cod is also seafood. It's also a delicate thing, you know? So you, you learn about sauces that way. But yeah, I would love to do a sauce class. Um, I have a book up there called Sauces right there, that big white one. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's how thick it has to be to teach you all, I mean, all the sauces. Yeah. But yeah, I would yeah. love to do a class on that. Okay. All right. So I'm going to, uh, we've been going longer than an hour now, and I want to wrap up by talking just briefly about the Facebook group for women, for friends. Yes. And I'm not going to name it because it's cl- a closed group. Right. Um, and I think you were surprised how many people were added to the group once you created it. So tell me why you created it and kind of what your vision for it was and where you think it's going, if anywhere, it doesn't have to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, I mean, I always like growth. Um, but also I like to temper growth to make sure it's the right kind of growth because not every growth is good. Mm -hmm. So I created this group because as you've been listening, I've always had trouble with friendships because, we moved a lot, had trust issues. I was, no matter what I did, I was never the friend you turned to. You always had a better friend than I was. Um, so I wasn't always the friend because I was never around, you mm-hmm. know? I wasn't able to do the things that other kids were able to do, even because of cultural constraints and stuff and moving constraints. So I always had a very um, wobbly uh, relationship with friendships. And as I've stayed in Little Rock a long time now, a lot of my past um, turned me into a person who's not a really great friend to have, meaning I will listen to you all day long, but I will not give up any information about myself hmm. for, for years. I would, I would not do that. And people would just sit, feel almost naked in front of me saying, well, I've told you everything about me and you haven't told me anything about you, you know? And it wasn't for any negative reasons. I just was like, why would anybody care? Mm-hmm. Why Why would you care about what is like, I'm not that interesting. I, I don't have anything going on, you know? And part of that is the friendship issues I had in the past. And part of that is just me. I'm just like, not everything is dramatic to me. Like not everything's big drama. Like sometimes they, things just go over my head and I'm like, okay, yeah, I, I guess mm-hmm. that wasn't a big deal. So I try not to talk about that many things unless they're worth sharing. Um, so that coupled with the past, um, I was like, I don't think I'm a good friend. I I'm supposed to share stuff, you know, and I almost felt like a fraud in relationships where I would be like, here is something I would like to share, even though, you know, it seemed forced or it didn't seem natural because I think I was just doing it to say, look, I'm sharing too, you know, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't sometimes not appropriate or anything. And then, but the biggest thing was, I think people can misread you sometimes, Mm -hmm. especially being women. Um, I hate saying women are catty or whatever, but I think we are really quick to judge people. You know, um, I I got judged left and right. And only because I've told you my past story that, you know, some of the things, but a lot of people who are walking around don't know all this background stuff. So if I'm quiet, it's because I'm snobby. 
or if I don't speak up right away, it's because I think I'm too good. Um, so people kind of misjudge you when inside you're like, well, I just don't know if anybody likes me. I don't know if I have anything valuable to say right Mm -hmm. now. Will people even listen to me? So those are such strong contradictions of what is actually happening that I felt like speaking up on it and letting other women feel safe in saying, hey, not all friendships work out because we're too busy judging each other. Mm -hmm. Maybe if we can get together on things that we really enjoy, like, oh, you like horseback riding. I do too. Let's connect over that instead of feeling forced to share about each mm-hmm. other. We're talking about drama in our life. We're talking about work. We're having crutches of conversation. Um, so I started doing this where women can create kind of friend resumes of what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And it kind of is an exercise in exploring what are you after as a friend? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes I'm the quiet one in the group. And people really think like, Zara's not talking to us because she's mad. And I'm like, is there any other quiet person out there who understands my energy? And then so many hands go up. They're like, yes. So sometimes it's really hard to find, quote unquote, your people because you sometimes you're friends with who you're around Mm -hmm. and you can't find anyone new because now you're in your 30s and you're like, who, where else am I going to meet people? I'm I'm in the career. I'm done with school. Um, So this was a great way for people to find each other despite religious or political you know, issues that actually try to divide us. So I have a very strict rule of not talking about any politics. I have a very strict rule of not talking about any work because, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, a lot of women's groups are now, you know, pushing their own line and you're constantly trying to sell something. I'm like, can we just all emotionally put on sweatpants and let go for Mm -hmm. a minute can we just all give each other a chance to talk and and give each other the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. like what you would want someone to believe about you believe about them maybe somebody is being quiet because they're not not mad at you because they've just they're emotionally drained you know there Mm -hmm. are different reasons and we're so quick to say you know, she, she's this way and she's this way. And I heard this and I heard that. And I'm like, let's just let all that go. Mm -hmm. Focus on cool things we can do, get out of the house and, you know, just, just live, be kids again and have that kind of, um, a feeling of safety where you feel like, okay, this, this girl gets me, you know, like Mm -hmm. she's also chatty just like I am. And we can just, you know, hit the ground running or Mm -hmm. this person is quiet really likes to just knit in like artwork and reads books, you know? So kind of like a, like a Tinder for friends where Mm -hmm. you're like, Hey, who wants to do this with me? You don't even know each other, but you, you're connected because of that same interest. And because you have that same interest, chances are you probably have other common traits so you can find, um, like-minded women. So I really enjoy it. Yeah. It's, um, I haven't participated in anything yet. Um, but I know not long after you started it and people started getting invited, you, you said something about um, there were some women who were saying, oh, we don't get along, or I don't remember exactly what it was. And I immediately I was like, oh, well, they, she must be talking about me because I am not everyone's cup of tea. Yeah. <laughs> and I know at least one person in the group who we just don't have the same personality. Right. It doesn't mean I don't like her. We right. just don't have the same interest and I don't want to hang out with her. Yeah. Because exactly. I feel forced, like I have to exactly. pretend and all of that. Yeah. And and that's why there's a beauty you know, a beauty in this group is because there are some people you feel 
like your energies just don't vibe. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the first things I posted was like, do not worry about who you don't vibe with. Mm -hmm. Go find who you do vibe with, you know, like find that person who you can, you're like, yes, you fill my cup. You know, you don't drain me because I do have some people in my life, even though this is a podcast and I'm supposed to be talking, I'm not a big talker. Mm -hmm. And there are some people who talks so much that I feel like I am clawing at myself mm-hmm. because I'm just like, I need a, I need some silence. Mm-hmm. And there are some friends of mine who are like the perfect mesh, like yin and yang. Mm-hmm. You know, we can sit there in silence and we can both be looking on our phones and still feel together mm-hmm. and still be texting each other funny memes, even though we're sitting next to each other right. and get up and be like, hey, do you want some tea? And be like, yes, please. You know, mm-hmm. you're just... So vibes are really hard to find. And if we stop talking about the bad vibes we have with other people, which aren't necessarily bad vibes, it's just, they're not your, your cup of tea. Mm -hmm. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think we should celebrate that. Say, Hey, you're not, but you are Mm -hmm. like, let's hang out. Right. And don't take it personally. And don't take it personally. And I think the women have done a great job of, um, I'm super self-deprecating, like very, like anybody who knows me, I will make fun of myself before I make fun of anybody else. Um, just because there's so much to make fun of. And we laugh, like my brothers and I, we laugh. Um, if a magazine article comes out and like a picture looks goofy, my brother will be like, what was happening here? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like we're not very sensitive. Um, so I really try to promote that too. It's like, not everything has to be personal. Mm -hmm. Not everything has to be serious. Mm -hmm just be self-deprecating a little bit and let things go. Like, don't worry about people who don't like, not even don't like you, like don't get along well with you or mm-hmm. something. Don't worry about them. Yeah. Find the people that do, you right. know, and give them energy and attention, have them reciprocate that to you. Mm-hmm. I have a friend and um, we worked together for a, a short period and, and I knew that our personalities weren't right for each other, but right. it was just one of those things. I didn't really have the courage to say, mm, you know, Yeah. and when we finally kind of broke up, it was a relief for both of us. Yes. And we, it could have ended badly, but I feel like it didn't because we were just like, okay, this didn't work out, but love you, love you moving on. Let's go have drinks next week, you know? And that can be a really hard thing to do because it's hard not to personalize everything. Right. But again, it's just, sometimes you're just not, you're, you're not cut yeah. from the same cloth. Yeah. You're just not going to fit sometimes. Yeah. And that's, that's okay. And I, I'm trying that, trying to help women understand this is not about you. Mm-hmm. There are a bunch of different puzzle pieces walking around. Mm-hmm. Don't get offended that this square piece doesn't fit over right. here with the round piece you need. Right. You know what I mean? Like it just doesn't work rationally. Mm-hmm. That means one of you is going to have to bend or change so significantly that mm-hmm. you're not who you are anymore. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. Find find that piece because that is beautiful. Being able to talk freely at the level and amount you need to and um, not worry about all, all the people. And it, you know, and it kind of stops the whole cattiness too because Mm -hmm. you're not judging women like oh she's the one who's always doing this you know because I heard a lot of that kind of stuff too and I was just like I don't feel comfortable and I've participated once or twice in that and I'm just like this is not me why did I do that I feel icky and then you don't know how to come off of that so I'm just like oh we don't need to do that I need to be you know going back to being authentic this is my new authenticness for now is that we we need to focus on friendships Mm -hmm. and speaking of the friendship breakup 
those are really hard because you're essentially saying, I don't even want to be friends with you, you know, right. with a boyfriend or girlfriend, you right. can like, let's just be friends right. with a friend. You're like, I don't even want that. Like, I don't even want you around, right. which is really hard. So I do want to do little speaker sessions where we can have people talk about if they've gone through that mm-hmm. and how it made them feel being on the broken up end mm-hmm. and how people who break up with friends, how they could do it better and uh, spare feelings and have the right things to say. Because I think mm-hmm. we're all learning how to communicate better. Yeah. Well, and my friend who, um, and we didn't break up as friends. We just broke up as colleagues. Right. And, uh, I'm sure that we would be happy to talk about it because we're we're both very strong-willed women. Oh, I would love that. I am not a good, like I am passive aggressive and Mm -hmm. cause I just don't know how to have those conversations, I guess, in in a work environment. But, um, in fact, I just sent her a message with her new business partner who I also like. Yeah just to say, Hey, I really appreciate you ladies. You know, this came up, even though we didn't work out, I really support you. And I know you support me and you know, we're all in this together. And so I just, I cherish those relationships, even though, you know, we're not super close, but we're, I mean, well, we are, we are close in the sense that we could call each other if we needed each other, but, um, it is, it's a, it feels good to not be angry about things, I guess. And there's no need to be angry. There is no need. Just no, no harm, no foul. Here's the thing. We're not taught as young kids how to break up with Mm -hmm. not even with husbands, wives, boyfriends, girlfriends, or anything. We're not told how to be good friends. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think our generation of women is doing a really good job of talking to our daughters about how to be inclusive and be good friends. And I think that's a good start, but it's a really hard job to be a good friend Mm -hmm. and to know how to do it. And when that comes to a screeching halt and you have to break up with a friend, we don't know how we don't know how to do that other than either, just stay, give them the silent treatment, which I've been given before where you're just like begging for an answer. Like, did I do something wrong? Did I do, you know, what's wrong? And the other person's just like, Oh, nothing, nothing. So not all of us have those skills to say, Hey, you know what? Yes, you did. You did do something wrong. I didn't like this. Mm -hmm. Um, and because what I like to say is I would love to be given the opportunity to explain or apologize for my actions Mm -hmm. because I do. That's very honest and truthful. I don't want relationships to just end without any resolution. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to get and be given a chance because I'd like to give someone else the chance too. But it's hard having those conversations because you don't know if somebody's going to be open to it and take, not take it the wrong way. So that is one of my downfalls because everyone thinks if I say something like that, it's asking for a fight what I'm asking for is clarity and resolution Mm -hmm. and people are not willing to meet your energy level sometimes Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. do that because it takes a lot. But I do, I want to, I want to really help women promote that. Be like, Mm -hmm. Hey, we don't know how to be friends. Right. There are ways to be a good friend and we've all been really bad friends, Mm -hmm. but we can all improve. And Mm -hmm. this is how. Well, it's a great group. Thank Um, you. I'm glad that you cut it off because I used to have a similar, were you in the executive board? No. It was a, a group. It was it was created for a similar purpose, but not not exactly the same. But um, I called it the executive board because I resist anything girly. And yes. so I was like, we're strong women, you know. Right. And, um, it got too big, so it lost its intimacy. Yes. And it also kind of got to where there started to be some arguments about certain things. I was like, yeah, you know. And yeah. then I just kind of ignored it, and then I just shut it down. Right. Because I do think that it can get unwieldy. Yes. Um, so I like that you have limited its well, size. Well, I think nowadays we're so, like I said, again, being in the social media world, we're so focused on numbers. Mm. Like, how big is this group? How mm-hmm. many likes did you get? How many times was it regrammed? Or whatever. 
that's not what this is about. Mm -hmm. This is getting, and the reason we are not allowed to talk about work is very, very important is because I don't want anybody to start promoting or advertising what they do and using that group as Mm -hmm. a pool from which to pull for for personal gain. Mm -hmm. I want women to learn what you do because you met with them for coffee. Mm -hmm. Go meet with somebody because what I'm... I'm being really big headed right now, but I'm like, it's kind of a gift because when you meet with people, that's how your marketing grows. Mm-hmm. And the reason I cut off the number or cut off any more invitations or whatever you call it to join the group, like we have a waiting list that I have not approved is on purpose because I don't want it to be number based. We're already, you know, in the hundreds and I want to make sure that the women who are in there they released a lot of personal information. Mm-hmm. They feel comfortable doing that, that we're not just letting in a whole bunch of people who don't understand the mission, who don't understand what we're trying to do. Once that is, I feel like a well-oiled machine and women feel comfortable and they are engaging with each other and they want bigger a, a bigger group, then maybe, yes, I'll start adding more. But for right now, it's not just my group. And I tell women all the time, You don't need me to create an event, create your own events, create whatever your mind Mm -hmm. or, you know, heart desires. Mm -hmm. You want a tea party, set up your tea party. Mm -hmm. You want to meet for the bachelorette, set up, you know, I don't watch the bachelorette, but go on, Mm -hmm. go set up your watch party. You don't need me. And I think I want to emphasize this is a group for everyone. It's not my group. It is a group that I created for women Mm -hmm. and y'all just meet with each other and y'all just communicate and you guys just figure out whatever it is you need that week. You know, I think somebody posted today, they're like, I want to go ax throwing because the holidays have been tough and, or coming up or whatever, who wants to go throw an ax with me? You know, even though I can't do it, (laughs) right. She's got like, I think four or five people who are like, yes, me, me, I need to go throw an (laughs) ax. So that's what it's about. It's about like, Hey, I want to do this cool thing. Mm -hmm. And Not that I don't have any friends, but maybe all my friends are busy. Maybe all my friends are moms and I'm the last single girl left and I want to go out and do something. Mm -hmm. And none of my friends like throwing axes. Right. So it's very, it has a lot of folds of why I think it works and will continue to work, I hope. You know, that's, um, this will be the last thing I say about this, but um, not having kids can be, make, it makes me feel very excluded Mm -hmm. because I don't unless they're young, I don't, I can't think of any friends I have who don't have children Yeah, and you become automatically excluded from this club. Yeah. And I, and I love children. Like yeah. I will come babies for you anytime. I tell everyone that I was a professional yeah. nanny. I can do it. So that's a good source too, where you're not just putting it out on Facebook. It's, it is a safe, I'm going to call it safe group, but a right. pr- kind of private group say, Hey, Yes. Like, and, and I want it to be something where we exercise saying what's really on our mind. Like, Hey, as a, as a woman without kids, I feel super excluded. Mm-hmm. What are some things that I can do? And you know, people are like, Hey, I felt that way too. Mm-hmm. And I would love to go have coffee with you or go have dinner or something. Mm-hmm. And I've had, you know, moms who say, Hey, I'm tied down with kids almost damn near every night. This is the only night I can go out, but no one else can go out. Yeah. Who can go out with me that night? Like, I just need to go out and get dinner. And moms like that deserve to have a dinner out. And if they don't have any friends who are available that night, that sucks. That Mm -hmm. means they're going to go months without Mm -hmm. having a girl's dinner. Like, that, that, that's not fair. So there should be a girl available or a woman, I should say, available to say, hey, yeah. I'm in. Mm-hmm. I don't have any kids, but I would love to meet you for dinner that mm-hmm. night because guess what? I love that Brazilian restaurant. Mm-hmm. So again, it's like 
trying to find people with like-minded interests and being safe enough to say what's really on your mind to mm-hmm. say like I don't read books I'm not showing up to a book club but I do like wine and mm-hmm. I, if there's wine there I'll be there you know what I mean mm-hmm. like and we we welcome everybody with well you know open arms to any of the events like uh, one of our friends had a a stitch and bitch where you crochet yeah. and you know and there's so many women who are like I've never crocheted but I want to learn is yeah. it okay it's yeah. like yes it's okay come on right. you know so that's the beauty of it because we I think we've lost ourselves being grown-ups mm-hmm. we've mm-hmm. lost ourselves being grown-ups I really think I think that's true because um society says hey you're a grown-up now and uh with age comes responsibility yes and, and uh do do bills. all these things mm-hmm. and I also this is the last thing I'll say about it but I also encourage women to live like men I say that quite often because if you'll notice most men do not ask for permission for things they don't. They just show up. They just do the things that they want to do. And they're not being malicious. Mm-hmm. They're just not used to having to really ask for a lot of stuff. Most do it out of courtesy or something. But women are constantly like, hey, I, I really need to, you know, go get my hair done. But I need to do this. So can you, you know, and then in charge of finding the babysitter or all, you know, or saying, can I have this much money or whatever? I'm like, live like a man. Mm-hmm. If you need an hour or two to yourself, say, I need an hour or two to myself. Mm -hmm. And men appreciate that is what I've noticed because you're being very clear with what you need. You're Mm -hmm. not making them guess like, Hey, you didn't ask me if I needed time to myself, just say the things you need. And I applaud men for, you know, and even women who do live like that all the time for being very clear and concise and saying, I need this, Mm -hmm. or I'll be gone. I'll be at the gym this night instead of saying, Hey, can I go to the gym? Mm -hmm. You know, or can I, can I go throw an axe? Can you babysit your kids? Can you babysit I, yeah. your, your own children you <laughs> yeah. created? Um, right. And I know it's not an easy conversation if you don't have a spouse or a partner who's open to that. But I think you should start. Yeah. <laughs> you should just start saying the things you need. Life is easier once you say the things you need. Like, mm-hmm. I need this. Not, hey, could you, would you please? Is right. it okay if I remove all the words and say, I need this? Right. And life is easier. Right. Or just say, hey, like you just said, not going to be here that night. Not going to be here that night. I'm throwing a couple of axes. Right. <laughs> right. And uh, I'll be back around nine, you know, but. My mother-in-law, I love her. I mean, and I love my husband and, and his family. Uh, so I don't, I don't mean this is criticism against them, but we just got back from a trip and she was watching our little dog and I forgot to call her to let her know that we were going to pick him up the next day. So she had gotten worried and oh. she called me and I found myself saying, well, you got Jason's number, right? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Why am I the one in trouble? Right, right. <laughs> you like, know? Where are you? Yeah. yeah. And so she calls me for everything. But First. but that's also, I mean, she's 86 years old and, you know, is used to being, I mean, like she takes care of her family. Right. Right. That is her role and she seems to, to love it. And mine, I'm just not the same, you know, I'll have yeah. Jason clean up the table when we go to her house for dinner, you right. know. But all that said, it's still very hard for me, even as someone who preaches that same thing, it is still hard for me to ask him to do things yes, or to say, I'm friggin' tired or, Hey, can you try to remember to take the trash out? Yes. You know? And it's, I think we just kind of get ourselves into these roles and it sort of becomes routine, but then you, then you kind of realize how tired you are or how much you are actually doing. And it's not that they won't do it. You just haven't asked them to. You just haven't asked. And, um, so I was talking to my best friend about that. Um, you know, cause she is also a caretaker and a very maternal force and just about lovely and 
almost every single way you can think of, but also has trouble taking on too much. Mm-hmm. You know, she takes on too much. And we were just talking about that. I was like, just don't feel the mom guilt. Mm-hmm. Don't just do what you need. Just do what you need. And all the pieces will fall together. Like even if you feel bad, don't feel bad mm-hmm. because it's a partnership. You both signed on for that. Say, this is what I need you to do, you know? And a lot of people equate that with the, the wifely nagging mm-hmm. or, you know, um, creating a honeydew list or anything like that. It's like, no, it is one person asking another person for help. It mm-hmm. has nothing to do with gender roles or what you signed up for or anything. I mean, it is a very human thing to intrinsically say, I need help. And if we're not teaching people to say, I need help, then you're setting them up for failure. Mm-hmm. They're going to have resentment. They're going to say, why didn't you offer to do it? Why didn't you think I would need help? You know, mm-hmm. you're making, you're expecting people to be mind readers instead of saying the thing you need mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and not feeling bad about it. Saying, hey, it, again, it comes down to tact because that is also something I was taught as you know, a young kid. You can get whatever you want, but you also have to be tactful. Mm-hmm. You can't be abrasive about what you need. So it's a fine balance of saying, do you mind helping me do this? Mm-hmm. And saying, I need help with this, mm-hmm. you know? It doesn't yeah. have to be a fight or doesn't have to be this right. long, drawn-out thing. Right. So, again, learn trait, but I think we as women do need to live like men and yeah. just say, I need this or yes. I'll be gone. Yes, and I just, am trying yeah. to create new habits. Yes, <laughs> And that is asking for help and I need it yeah. and not taking on everyone else's problems. Yes. So, cause yeah. that also, I put the, that burden on myself. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, it drains you. It, yeah. it absolutely drains mm-hmm. you. And, um, you know, again, it goes back to all those memes. You can't, you can't save the person next to you if you don't have your oxygen mask mm-hmm. on yourself. Again, very simple thing, but how you apply it is very true. So you can't help. I can't help my kids if I'm mentally breaking down because I've taken on the world's problems and now, you know, I'm a PTA mom, but I'm also doing all this stuff for my neighbors, but I'm also, you know, the person closest to me, my child is not going to have what I need, you know, or they're not going to have what they need. Mm-hmm. So work from the inside out and go to the next level, go to the next level and then see who you can help. But mm-hmm. you need to help yourself and not overburden ourselves with all of this stuff. And like you said earlier, set the right example for your kids. Yes. I, yeah. and, and I think that's really important. Our kids are watching because I watched my parents, mm-hmm. how I operated for years was how they operated mm-hmm. where I had gaps in how to operate. I looked to them. What did they do in that, mm-hmm. in that instance? Um, a lot of it was, from their, the times that they were raised. And I think their entire generation is very similar in that. You hold in problems. You don't really actively talk about them. You don't burden other people with what you've got going on. Um, you know, just a lot of niceties we were taught. And I think we can reframe that. We don't have to just go all out the other way and mm-hmm. overcorrect and be like, you know what? I got tons to say. And it's all, you know, crap about mm-hmm. all of this stuff. So I think we can reframe and say, hey, listen, we didn't talk about this openly when we were younger, but what is a positive way to talk about it instead of saying, well, you didn't go through this or, you know, I'm going through something different. They probably went through it too, but how we communicate is very important. So I want my kids to know I care about myself. I genuinely care about myself. When I drink water, it's because I care about myself. When I tell you to drink water, 
it is also because I care about you. So you see me doing that for myself. Mm -hmm. When I say, you know, stay away from this, this is why, because I would not do it myself either. And I care. And you know, that whole, they watch everything you, mm-hmm. you're doing. Yeah. So I want them to know, like, if something eats away at me, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to say no. I'm going to talk about my problems. So when you're going through something later in life, you know that we communicate and talk about problems. We don't hold it all in together. Um, because the last thing I need is a teenager who doesn't talk to me. Mm-hmm. So I want to set the foundation now and right. say, we talk about things. We don't do things alone. Right. Um, you have a family um, for a reason. And my dad used to always say, you know, a family is like a hand. We're all individuals. Like each finger is a family member. And we can all we can do a lot of things with a hand. But when we come together, we mm. can really make an impact. Mm-hmm. So he, and he would close the hand into a fist and say, that's when you make the impact, you know? So I teach the kids that too. It's like, I alone as a pinky can do very little, but if I have you and dad and Amila and Mara, I can do so much. I need all of you Mm -hmm. and you need me. You need me like that. All of that is all for naught if they see me not, not doing any of that. So I want to be true to my word and say, I, I care about myself too. Yeah. I love that. I know he taught us when we were very little he's like and it was five of us just like there are five of us so he would say this is me this is your mom this is you know so and so and you know one finger can't do all of it can try it'll take a long time um so that's always stuck with me and I passed that on to the kids because it was an easy visual Mm -hmm. um it's five of us and very easy for them to understand later on in life like a pinky's not going to do right everything it needs to do right. to lean on each other um, and don't feel guilty about it because mm-hmm. that's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. Well, I've got to stop this. We're, we're, <laughs> I am so sorry. I no, had no, very no. long-winded answers. No, I, I could talk about this. I feel like we haven't even scratched the surface, but I just want to thank you. And I don't know, I've always been extremely uh, drawn to you for some reason. Thank I can't you. really, I can't really say why. I mean, I just feel like you're a very you. kind, magnetic, interesting beautiful person oh well, so thank you. yeah that means so much yeah so anyway i really enjoyed this and thank you i did too. And it was thank a long time so coming much. so yeah for thinking of me for yes this. yes um and uh and anyway well thank you thank you stephanie thank you so much for listening to this episode and i'm going to get in trouble if i do not ask you to subscribe to the podcast share it with friends, rate us and review us. It is not hard to do. Uh, Of course, we prefer five stars, but do whatever you feel is right. And the more support you provide, the more we can keep on going. Thank you.